angry surges roll on my tempest-driven soul. I am peaceful for I know, wildly though the winds may blow, I'm an anchor safe and sure that can evermore endure, and it holds my anchor holds, blow ye wildest and low gale, on my bark so small and That's good. I hope your anchor holds. Amen. Check. One, two. Oh, was I singing through this or through this? Which is it? Oh, okay, good. I was going to say, this probably doesn't do a very good job with the sound of the music, does it? All right. Well, at least these guys know what they're doing up there. That's good. All right. Every once in a while, they throw a little uh, uh, kind of a zinger at me, and they've already got me on before I realize it. I don't, I don't like my mic being on in case, you know... Whatever. So anyway, you know, I, I like it in the off position, you know, the mute position. But uh, anyway, every once in a while they get me. But they're not taping. Don't worry about it. So if I'm talking to you, don't worry. It's not being taped. It's not being put out on the Facebook or anything like that. All right. So don't worry about that. Um, also, by the way, ladies, I just want to share with you real quick what the uh, ladies Bible study is about. It's going to be about how to make a million dollars in six months. How to make a million dollars in six months. Tame your husband and children at the same time. All right? There you go. So I expect to see you there next Tuesday. Okay, that sounds great. That's probably not what it's really on. But anyway, I just thought that might get your attention. I wonder how many ladies would show up. I just wonder. I'm just, 
how many ladies would show up if they honestly believed that they would learn how to make a million dollars in six months versus just coming to a Bible study. I'm not allowed to say that. Okay, Job chapter 22. Job chapter 22. Let's go on over there. We're in our series, Secrets of Successful Living. We're talking about the benefits of knowing God. Now, last week, we, uh, as part of our lesson, we were looking at, the, unfortunately, the needs of fallen mankind. We noticed that we needed to return to the Lord and then receive Him. And in so doing, we enter into a relationship with Christ, obviously, a relationship that uh, is going to produce some things. And in this case, it's going to produce some benefits. Anytime you enter into a relationship with Christ, it's going to change your life. It's going to make a difference. And so we're going to see some of the benefits today. Now, again, that was the title of the lesson last time, but we kind of focused more on uh, that reality and the need to uh, first... um, return and then receive. Now, we're actually going to get into the nitty-gritty. Seven, seven things, seven benefits, if you will. And I'm sure there are tons more. I mean a lot more. But, un, but unfortunately, because of time, we're going to deal with just these. Okay, so let's go ahead and uh, take a look at um, the uh, um, uh, chapter 22. Let's begin reading in verse 21. All right, beginning in verse 21. The Bible says, Acquaint now thyself with him, and be at peace, thereby good shall come unto thee. Receive, I pray thee, the law from his mouth, and lay up his words in thine heart. If thou return to the Almighty, thou shalt be built up. Thou shalt put away iniquity far from thy tabernacles. Then shalt thou lay up gold as dust, and the gold of Ophir as the stones of the brooks. Yea, the Almighty shall be thy defense, and thou shalt have plenty of silver. For then shalt thou have thy delight in the Almighty, and shalt lift up thy face unto God. Thou shalt make thy prayer unto him, and he shall hear thee, and thou shalt pay thy vows. Thou shalt also decree a thing, and it shall be established unto thee, and the light shall shine upon thy ways. When men are cast down, then thou shalt say, There is lifting up, and he shall, and he shall save the humble person. Boy, that's an interesting phrase right there, isn't it? He shall save the humble person. Well, that's good. All right, well, Job chapter 22, beginning verse 21 through 29. We're going to look at those verses, and we're going to ask the, uh, note, note the benefit of knowing God. Now, if you've been a Christian for any time, you're going to go, boy, I, I, I already know that one. Whoop, I already knew that one. And that's okay. That's all right. They say repetition is the key to learning. And not only that, but every time we're reminded of what God's done in our life, it ought to make us even more grateful than ever. So let's go ahead and see what we can't learn tonight. And see if we can't be blessed, and I'm sure we will be, seeing it's coming out of the Word of God. So let's have a word, of God, a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. Thank you, Father, for these that have gathered tonight. We do pray and beg you to show up. We realize and recognize that without you being here, we're wasting our time. Father, these thy people do not need to meet with a mere man. They need to meet with you, the Master. Now fill me with your Spirit and allow me to be your mouthpiece even tonight. Oh, use me. Father, use your Word. You said your word would not return void. So, Father, as it goes forth, may it do the work that it is intended to do. May it change our lives, Lord. May it just truly, Father, temper us and, Father, uh, make us, uh, Father, more inspired than ever. May we have a true desire to not only live the Christian life, but to share it with others. We love you. We need you. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so first of all, if we're going to talk about the benefit of knowing God, let's start with this one. Number one, 
We shall be built up. That's what the passage teaches here. We shall be built up. Notice in verse 23, it simply says here in the passage, it says, if thou return to the Almighty, thou shalt be built up. Now again, we talked about the need to return to Christ and, we, and, and receive the Lord Jesus our Savior, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Okay, so we know that to be the case. Now here we are, after receiving Christ, after uh, accepting him and returning to him, we shall be built up. We shall be built up, the passage says. Now, a group of tourists visiting a picturesque village walked by an old man sitting beside a fence one day. And um, in somewhat of a patronizing manner, one of the tourists said to him, Well, were any great men born in this village? The old man kind of looked up and thought for a moment and then said, Nope, only babies. Only babies. You know... Every person who's born again starts life as a babe in Christ. That's just the way it is. Nobody starts as a spiritual giant. Now, again, you may have some background. Maybe you grew up in a home where you were taught some things, and so you, you kind of you gravitate to that truth, those meanings of those truths, and you do have some background and some foundation. But the truth is, is that biblically, scripturally, you start as a babe like anybody else. You have to start on the milk of the word before you get to the meat. There's an, a growing process that takes place as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to grow in Christ. That is a reality. And so... A baby Christian that's been saved for 40 years is a tragedy. There shouldn't be any baby Christians at 40 years of after being saved. Amen. You know, it's like if you were 40 years of age physically and you still were a baby, there'd be a real problem. You know, that, that would be something that we need to get the medical field involved in. And let me tell you something. If you are still a spiritual baby at the age of 40, you need to get the great physician involved. And so there's a real problem there if that's the case. Now, God intends for us to grow and to mature so that we can be a very positive influence in the lives of others. See, God never saved us for ourselves. He saved us for others. He saved us for himself, really, if you want to get down to it. It's, all, it's really all about him. And I know somebody said, well, that doesn't sound very good. It sounds perfectly fine to me. He's God. He's the creator. Matter of fact, we were created for his pleasure. We understand that according to Revelation 4.11. But the fact is, is that we are to grow and we are to mature so that we can be a positive and a very productive influence in the lives of others. And until we learn to dig into the meat of the word, I'm talking about for ourselves, we're really never going to grow. You know, the idea, and again, I, I'm not opposed, and I think it's extremely important that every one of us attends church. I think it's important that we come to Sunday school I think it's imperative that we attend the, the main worship services and then even on Sunday night and Wednesday night. Listen, I, I'm all for services. Long before I was saved, I was going to church more than one time a week, obviously. I mean, I felt that it was important to be in the house of God, but it was also important to be in the Word of God. That's true. And so you need to read your Bible. You need to pray. But let me tell you again, honestly, I don't believe that you or I really grow until we get into the meat of the Word ourselves. I'm not talking about listening to a message, and I'm not talking about listening to our Sunday school teacher. I'm not even talking about knowing what verse you're supposed to memorize in class. I'm talking about when you take the time to memorize the verses, you take the time to, to dig into the scriptures, when you spend time yourself looking up verses and looking up the meaning of words, when you take the time to dig into the word of God and try to compare scripture with scripture, when you make it personal, that's when you really grow. Otherwise, you are still not where you belong spiritually. I don't care if you've been saved 20 years. 
Give me three verses on salvation. Give me four verses on baptism. Give me three verses on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Give, and you say, whoa, 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 whoa. Proof positive, we aren't growing. Now listen, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be nasty. I'm not saying that you're not faithful. I'm not saying that you're not trying in your own way. But let me tell you something. There ought to be a growth process to where you can be a benefit and a help to other people to reach Christ, yes, in salvation, but to also grow them in their walk in faith. And if you personally haven't grown yourself, not, not just being, been, been in the right place, I'm talking about doing the right thing in your own personal Christian life. Well, I'll tell you what, we, we shall be built up. If you know Christ is your Savior, you're going to be built up. And if you're not building, if there's nothing going on in your life, then my friend, you have reason to check whether or not you're even in him. If nothing's going on in your Christian faith, in your Christian life, and I'm telling you, if it's just a matter of duty every day, duty, 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 got to work, got to work, got to work, got to go, got to go, got to go. Got to, or people are going to think I'm a bad Christian. Got to do it, or my husband will think I'm not very, uh, very spiritual. Got to do it, or the preacher will think that I'm skipping out on my responsibilities. If that's the only reason we do what we do, we haven't figured it out. We're going to be built up, those believers. And I'm telling you, it ought to be natural. It ought to be a natural thing. We ought to have this desire to grow. There ought to be something in us that says grow, 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 grow. Matter of fact, you don't have to tell a kid to grow. The other day I went to a young lady. Well, it wasn't a young lady, it was a little girl. She, she, well, actually, she is turning into a young lady, actually. She's a little older than I thought she was. She's a year older than I thought she was. And I said to her, I was teasing with her, and I said, hey, you're probably just turned this age. She said, no, I turned that age. A little older. I don't even tell you who it was. But anyway, uh, I said, wow. I said, anybody ever told you you're not allowed to grow up? Knock that off. You're not allowed to get big. You're not allowed to grow up. Haven't your parents told you that? Hasn't somebody told you that yet? She said, what are you talking about? I'm not trying. It just happens. (laughs) What's wrong with us spiritually then? I mean, there ought to be something that's natural. Why is it someone's got to get behind you and kind of kick you along and push you along and try to drag you along? Try to convince you. Try to, try to somehow sweet talk you into memorizing verses. Sweet talk you into reading your Bible and praying. Try to tell you, oh man, let's go ahead and run this promotion. Let's do this. Let's do that. Everybody that reads our Bible through this far. Ah, and those things are good. But that should not necessarily be how you and I are motivated. We're children of God. The benefit of knowing God is that we're going to be built up. So the point is, and what I'm trying to help, so I'm trying to say really is, What's wrong if we're not being built up when that's the natural process? Is there something wrong? Either my Christian life, there's something stunting my growth. Or, may, or I'm not even a Christian then. It's one of the two. And someone says, well, you're trying to say that salvation's by works. I you said that. But I'll tell you something. If there's no desire for growth, if there's no growth in your life, you need to ask yourself, what's stunting your growth if you're truly a child of God? And you can only be truly a child of God. There's either you're in or out. What's stunting the growth? Colossians 2, 6, and 7 says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Colossians 2, 6, and 7. 
2 Peter 3.18, a very familiar passage, I'm sure. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. I want you to think about the most impressive, the most impressive Christian you know. I want you to think about that person in, in your mind's eye right now. I want you to think about it. I don't care if, maybe, maybe even, I would prefer them to be alive, but maybe they've even passed on. And think about that person, that greatest Christian you ever met, that person that you knew and you thought, man, now that is the epitome of Christianity. Now here's the next question. What do you have to do to get there? What do they have or did have that you don't have yet? Now what are you going to do to get there. And, and, and don't, listen, don't get too spiritual on me here. Well, it's God's work. He's the one that began a good work. I mean, he's the one that's got to perform it. Whatever. I'm sure that that's what's holding us all up is God's just not working hard enough. You know what I'm saying? Let's not blame God for the fact that we aren't growing. Okay, I mean, there's something wrong with us when we're not growing. And I want you to think about that Christian that you've put on a pedestal, that one that deserves to be there. I'm not saying they don't, but boy, they, they, huh, wow. When you, you think a Christian, you, their names, their pictures beside the word in the dictionary. What is it that you're not? What, what is it that they are that you're not? And what do you need to do to get there? Boy, we ought to be built up and we are built up. See, this is the thing. As believers, we shall be built up. He has begun to work. The question is really this too. How much does God have to do to get us where he wants us? What's he going to have to do to you or those around you to get you where he wants you? Right now, you're here. Are you going to take steps and say, you don't have to convince me, Lord. I want to get there. I'm going to take steps. Put one foot in front of the Okay, but anyway, you remember the show, right? So anyway, Christmas show. So you want to get over there, right? What if you don't? What if you're the one that's holding God up? Hey, you're going to grow as a believer. You're going to be built up one way or the other. And I don't want God to have to push me along. Now, I'll be honest with you. He's had to do that a few times in my life. I've, I've resisted the growth. I've resisted moving in the right direction at times in my life. God's had to get my attention. And that is all a work of grace, by the way. We should be built up. Not only that, number two, we shall deal drastically with sin. It's the benefit of knowing God now. It's the benefit. <laughs> Got to make sure I say that a few times because I think sometimes people are like, that's a benefit? Absolutely. We shall deal drastically with sin. The story is told of a young girl who accepted Christ as her Savior and applied for membership in a local church. They said, were you a sinner before you received the Lord Jesus into your life? One of the deacons said. She said, yes, sir. Yes, indeed, I was. Well, are you still a sinner? Now, to tell you the truth, I feel I'm a greater sinner than ever, she said. Then what real change have you experienced? Well, I don't know. I, I don't quite know how to explain it, she said, except I, I used to be a sinner running after sin, but now that I'm saved, I'm, I'm a sinner running from sin. 
See, what she said, wait a second. What, I, don't, I don't quite know how to explain it, she said, except I used to be a sinner running after sin, but now that I'm saved, I'm a sinner running from sin. I don't know that she necessarily is 100% theologically correct, but let me tell you something, that makes good sense right there. And boy, I'll tell you what, when we come to Jesus Christ and we return and then receive him as our Savior, there's a natural awareness of sin becomes much larger, looming larger in our lives. It, it, it's, it's more difficult to a, a deal with sin in our conscience than it was before. We, we could live with it. Now it drives us crazy. And so we have to deal with it if we want freedom, if we want to be free of that burden. See, your body's the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you. In the book of 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, the Bible says, What? Know you not that your body's the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? For you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. How many of you, can, how many of you memorized that verse, those verses? How many of you have? A number of you have, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, those are great verses, aren't they? What does that mean then when I'm at work? What does that mean? When I'm at work. Somebody that memorized it. What's that mean? Where, where are you at? Somebody memorized it. What's it mean when I'm at work then? Does anybody have an idea? You're afraid because I'll call you out, right? It means he's with me then, right? He's in me. He's in me. What does it mean when I'm at school? He's in me. He's with me then. He's there right then on the spot. My body is the temple, the Holy Ghost, which is in you. Not only that, but we've been bought with a price. So that means not only is he in me, but what he is in now is no longer mine, it's his. Right. Amen. I mean, is that right? Now, wait a second, though. Do we live that way? So wherever I go, am I conscious of the fact that this is his and he is with me and in me? How conscious are you of the presence of Christ in your life? How conscious am I? How many times do we say something or do something that is totally out of character of Christ with what is really his? That's kind of alarming, isn't it? As a child of God, though, the Bible teaches us that there should be and there will be, should I say, a, a drastic a dealing, a, you know, would be dealing drastically with sin. The temples are, are to be holy. He says in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Listen, I, I don't know what you do uh, on your time. I don't know what you watch or what you listen to necessarily. I'm not privy to that. I, like I told you before, I don't get on Facebook. I don't want to know sometimes. It's just protecting myself and you. <laughs> but let me ask you something. If God would tell you that what you are watching, what you are listening to, or what you're doing is wrong, would you stop it? I didn't ask. I, I, I didn't ask, would you think about it? Would you consider it? Would you pray about it? I didn't ask that one. I said, would you stop? I mean, if honestly, in your heart of hearts, you got down to pray tomorrow morning, or you prayed in your chair, or wherever it is you pray in the morning, or in the afternoon, or the evening, whatever time it was in prayer, you got to 
hopefully confessing some sin in your life, and all of a sudden the Lord put his finger on something that you say, something you do, something you watch, something you listen to. I mean, he just made it as clear as that. You knew, not, not you know, well, I don't know. I, I thought maybe he said that. If you thought he said it, he did. Well, I'll just have to wait and see if he says it again tomorrow. No, I, you know what I'm saying? Come on now. We've been Christians, most of us, long enough to know what that voice is. I mean, it's not ours. It's his. And it's just obvious. It's just like he working through our conscience. He's working through our soul. Man, it's like, it's just boom, his spirit speaking to us inside because it's really his body and he's the one living in us. And if I'm down here praying and he says, boom, the question is, would you forsake it? Would you get rid of it? Let me ask you. If you are willing to do whatever God says in this area of sin, to forsake it, how would you, I guess, characterize your walk with Christ? Probably characterize it as being proper, right, in the right relationship with God, obedient, right? I think. Now let me ask you this. What if in your heart of hearts you couldn't say, yep, I would without a doubt do whatever God told me? How would you characterize your spiritual life now? Your walk with Christ. How would you, how would you characterize that? See, I think sometimes we don't think of things like this. We don't, we don't consider this stuff. You know, we think... I'm going to church. I'm reading my Bible. I pray every day, so I'm good to go. Then I do everything the preacher says to do, at least the best I know how or as defined by myself. He says to read, so I do, at least a verse a day. He says to memorize scripture, so I learn Jesus wept. You get where I'm going? I'm just saying we can kind of come to our own conclusions as to whether or not we're obedient in that regard. But the question isn't, do you do what the pastor says? Do you do what your Sunday school teacher says? Do you measure up to man's standard? I'm telling and I'm asking you this. If God tells you to forsake something, would you? Can I tell you what I think most of us do when that question is posed? Here it is. Watch. Let me tell you what most of us do. Here's what we do. Hmm. We have to think about it. We start thinking, well, what if he asked me this? Would I do it then? What, what if he asked me? See, that's what most of us in Christianity do. We ask the question, well, wait a second. Let me think about that. So what does that say about us? Are we really as spiritual as we think we are? Are we really where we belong with Christ? Are we really as dedicated and committed to him as we would like to believe? I'm not saying that we're not taking steps. I'm not saying we're not doing some good things. That's not what I'm implying. But where are we at with him? I mean, according to the scriptures... Man, when we get saved, I mean, he says here in verse 23, if thou return to the Almighty, thou shalt be built up. Thou shalt put away iniquity far from thy tabernacles. So that's Old Testament. Yeah. Let me tell you something. Sin's no better in the New Testament. 
It's no more acceptable and it's no more right than it ever was. Our temples. 2 Chronicles 29. Turn to 2 Chronicles 29, verse 16 and 17. These temples are to be holy. Well, that's not a topic we like to address much in our culture in the day in which we live. Sadly enough, it's not addressed in our churches enough even, including this one. Boy, if there's one thing that we need, if we want the power of God, if we want the presence of Christ, we need to be pure. Purity equals power. So no purity, no what? No purity, no what? That's right. And we wonder why we're struggling to see God do miracles. And what we want to do is blame it on our culture. We'll say things like, well, it's different today. And I know what the prophecies say. There'll be a falling away first. And I know this is a Laodicean age. I know. We've always got all kind of excuses for why there's no power. But yet the Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he's the same, I know people are tough. And, and so maybe we're not seeing thousands saved like they did at Pentecost in one day. It was sure nice to see four this weekend. It had been better to see 40. I mean, are we really satisfied with four? I'm not saying that, I'm just, I'm just asking some questions. I'm just throwing it out there. Notice 2 Chronicles 29, 16 and 17. And the priest went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it and brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord and to the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it to carry it out abroad, abroad into the brook Kidron. Now they began on the first day of the first month to sanctify. And on the eighth day of the month came they to the porch of the Lord. So they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days. And in the 16th day of the first month, they made an end. Now I just want to focus, and there's a number of things we could look at there, but notice again that they went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it. What did they call in the wilderness? What did they call the, 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 what did they call that thing that they, that there was a outer court, there was the holy of, there was the holy place, and then there was the holy of holies. The tabernacle. And the Bible says that you and I, our bodies are a tabernacle. I think that there's a correlation between the Old Testament tabernacle and our bodies then today. And notice again what's taking place here in the Old Testament. They're, they're saying there, hey, wait a second now, something's going on. Now, of course, the tabernacle, we understand, turned into the temple, right? Well, the Bible says that our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you. So the tabernacle, the temple, and now what? Our bodies. So in the, the real Old Testament, I say real old because that was way back there, Moses, you got the tabernacle. And there in the Holy of Holies, there God was. The mercy seat, remember? Oh, wait a second. We don't need the tabernacle now because we have the, we have the temple. Solomon, his temple, wonderful. There in the Holy of Holies, there he was, the Lord. Presence of God. In the innermost part of the, of the, the temple, the Holy of Holies, there he was, God. Wait a second, we don't need the tabernacle. We don't need the temple now because now the Bible says that 
you are the tabernacle and the temple of God. And guess where he resides? The Holy of Holies. And the Bible teaches here that in the Old Testament, the priest went into the innermost part, inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it. Listen, it's not enough to go to a sink and wash your hands. That's, that's not necessarily, that's not what God's all about. Now, he, he likes, I, my grandma would say, cleanliness is next to godliness. She had a point. You know, I think that's good, good business. Stay clean. But when you think about cleaning up the outside, and that's what we do in Christianity so many times. We, we clean up the outside. Put the suit on, put a dress on, look nice, put our makeup on. Hopefully, guys, you're not doing that. But anyway, you're, you're doing those things. Now, hold on. We're cleaning the outside up. We try to control our tongue. We try to say the right things, do the right things, go the right places. And that's, that's good. But that's not where the power comes from. See, the truth is, the priest went into the inner part of the house. What did Jesus say to those Pharisees and Sadducees? He said, you are whited sepulchers. What was his, he was implying that on the outside you look beautiful. And he even states it. You look real good on the outside, but inside you're dead men's bones. You're dead as a doornail, he's saying. In this case, that's exactly what the priests are doing. They're going into that tabernacle now and they're going to clean that thing up. They're going to the inner part of that tabernacle. Inner part of that, that temple. Because they're going to clean it up from the inside out. Because the most important thing to God is what's on the inside. Don't misunderstand. He is still concerned about the outside because there's not a person on earth that sees your inside. So don't get all crazy and go, well, it doesn't matter what I wear. It doesn't matter what I look like. It doesn't matter what I... But all that matters is my heart's clean. Your heart can't be clean if the outside's all jacked up. I mean, why are we kidding ourselves, right? You get into this stuff. It's crazy stuff, you know? But the fact is, is that God's concerned about this. So... We're talking about this idea here. We shall be built up, yes, but we shall deal drastically with sin. If we're stunted in our growth, it's not necessarily because this is wrong out here. You may be walking the right way, talking the right way, doing all the right things to mankind. But have you, like these priests, and you are called king, we are kings and priests, according to Revelation 1.5. Interestingly enough, isn't that something too? Will you as a priest go into the tabernacle, go into the temple, your body, into the inner part of the house, and cleanse it? Search out the dirt, search out all that which is corrupted, and clean it out. The Holy Spirit comes along, puts his finger on your heart when you're praying. There it is. In the inner part, there it is. Will you say, yes, sir. I'm carrying it out today. Getting rid of it today. You know what? I got to believe that's something every one of us has to work on. 
including this guy. I'm telling you, it's not easy to clean up the inside like that. And I just want to encourage you to do that. I know I've spent a lot of time on these couple things. But maybe we'll take some time in the next day or two and, or the next few days and just think about these priests and how they went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it. And, and be honest with yourself. If God would tell you to do away with something, someone, a situation, going somewhere, saying something, watching something, listening to something, whatever it is God puts his finger on, would you, without hesitation, say, I'd do it? If not, then maybe we need to really do an inventory of our heart tonight. And ask, why wouldn't we? Why would we even hesitate? Maybe we'll touch a little bit on some of those things in the future. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time together.